What's up, everything? Well, we're finally succumbing to the man and quarantining at home, but that won't stop us from bringing you that hot, hot hashtag content. We barely know what we'll cover, but you're about to find out, so let's get started, and let's go Logaria! Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Two Guys One Cup podcast. It is Saturday, April 11th, Easter Saturday. Happy Easter to those of you who celebrate. Happy Passover to those of you who celebrate. I've always enjoyed how, for Christians, Holy Week, every day has a very fancy name. You know, um, Palm Sunday, uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then it's just Easter Saturday. <laughs> they just gave up. <laughs> You know, they were like, we're close enough. We'll call it Easter, too. Uh, <laughs> Ian, how are you close. doing today? Good. I'm doing well. Um, I am in my home and not across the table from you. Yes. Ian has succumbed to the desires of the man and followed the rule of law like a true just, I don't even know what. No, we're, uh, we're, we're doing the wise thing, you know, sheltering at home and all that. But uh, if the audio quality is different or... Our response times are a little slower. That could probably be the reason why, or it's the high amount of TCH in my system, obviously. So, we're even second to smoking. That's right. You know, we're all on a quest for ways to kill the time. We're all on a quest for hashtag. <laughs> lined up all the different kind of drugs. To try. That's right. I've never done any of them before, so why not start now? All uh, on Twitch. That's right. <laughs> you will be twitching at lowercase x uppercase x underscore 420 underscore something uh yeah we're here we're on video chat ian's in his brand new apartment and while not brand new and that it was newly constructed but brand new and that he's newly moved in how do you like the place ian that's i i like it a lot we were just trying to figure out um one year it was built in or the whole everything around here mm -hmm. so uh it's by it's by the botanical gardens that's a big enough area that you can't you can't find me that's you can try but um what fictitious all... neighborhood of st louis city is this in oh yeah southwest gardens uh, oh steven you had me narrow it down i don't like that oh that's true that's real <laughs> that's real close i apologize i'm so no that's fine okay. um everybody will be but... dead in a couple weeks so we're, we're in the yeah, no, no. <laughs> the city will be a ghost town that's right uh, yeah, it's very it's very nice. It's very close to Tiger Park. It's very close to the Botanical Garden. Uh, I moved out of a neighborhood that was celebrating Passover, would be celebrating Passover today. Um, and uh, into, into a non-Jewish neighborhood. In, is that why? To, to escape <laughs> no, the no. Passover celebrants. No, okay. I don't know. No, I don't no. want to assume, but you know. I, I did get very specific. Didn't I? I, I, I don't like it. As <laughs> I, I moved out of that. a neighborhood that would have been <laughs> celebrating Passover. Uh, specific. Yep. You know, don't like to let people linger and wonder. Uh, mm. We are here. We're on. We've joined the whole world in the endless quest for content. 
there's only so much hockey news we can talk about, and the hockey news we have is very sad, which is the mm-hmm. passing of Oilers prospect Colby Cave. Uh, he had a brain bleed, which is awful. Um, it sounds awful. It probably mm-hmm. is awful. Um, you know, it's it's bizarre. We, I don't know if everybody else is like me, but now I hear of anyone passing away right now and I'm like, oh God, did they have, you know, coronavirus? And this is a very, you know, equally tragic, but very different situation. Uh, The family announced it is with great sadness to share the news that our Colby Cave passed away early this morning. I, Emily, and both our families are in shock, but no, our Colby was loved dearly by us as family and friends, the entire hockey community, and many more. We thank everyone for their prayers during this time. And the Oilers extended condolences. Gary Bettman extended condolences. Jay uh, Woodcroft, who's the head coach of the Bakerfield Condors, extended uh, condolences. It's just a, a really sad situation. You know, young young athletes are never supposed to be susceptible to um, that sort of thing, to any, you know, real health concerns. And, you know, some there are a freak freak small number of things that can take someone that young like a brain hemorrhage that nobody knows about and the percentages are very small but when it hits someone you've you know know about or is in in the athletic world it's always a big story Uh, i don't know much about him um honestly i don't know when he was drafted i'm trying to look that up right now uh but i know he was a prospect for the oilers he was drafted by the Kootenay Ice, number 13, uh, in the WHL Bantam draft. But, um, yeah, it's just a sad situation and wanted to pass along, I guess, our condolences. I don't know. Do you have anything to add there, Ian? Yeah, I was just going to say it's, it's too bad that I think a lot of his family and a lot of friends weren't able to to be by his side just because of the virus going on and they couldn't be you know, in the hospital with them. Mm-hmm. And it's just... That's a shitty situation that's just made shittier by that. And, you know, uh, yeah, condolences to his his family and his friends and everything. Because, yeah, it's it's one of those things, too, that's you feel might get lost in uh, all the static that is this virus going on, you know. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that that's this also happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember hearing something about it earlier this week, and I just didn't really know what was going on. And then this sort of came out of nowhere, at least for me. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just too bad. Yeah, yeah, just a, a disappointing, sad situation. So all the best to his family and the Oilers organization. I think one of the nice things about hockey and sport, I mean, sports in general is, you know, when stuff like this happens, we saw it when the when the Bo Meester stuff happens. It's really, you know, it's just kind of unifying and everybody sends their best wishes and everything. And there are a lot, as we've learned, you know, in the in the world the past month or so, there are a lot more important things than sports, even if we forget that sometimes. So, um, yeah, so we can move on from that topic. We really don't have other hockey news to discuss, though, because yeah. we talked about the uh, somewhat borderline ridiculous North Dakota plan last year, last week. Um no signings of any significance that I know of. I'll look it up right here on the spot, but obviously we're theoretically past the trade deadline, weirdly, so they can't do any of that because they haven't, you know, officially canceled the season or anything. So it's just just a weird, you know, just a waiting game. Um, and uh, 
it's a waiting game we're going to be playing for, you know, at least a number more weeks and probably longer than that. Uh, because I think, you know, I don't know, Ian, if you listen to the uh, Steve Dangle podcast with Chris Johnson on it. Uh, Not yet. But he talked on there about kind of the North Dakota plan and some other stuff. And he he said that, like, he personally thought that we weren't going to get any kind of a resolution to this season. Um, but that he spoke to people in the NHL who were pretty confident they were going to have a, have a way to pull this off. Um, and, you know, it's just, I understand, we've talked about it before, I understand the NHL's desire to try and get, you know, even if it's just TV revenue, even if it's just some fraction of what they lost, if they can recoup that, then I understand their desire to give it a shot. But, um, you know, it's just, even, even, even as, you know, I think the numbers around this whole thing are improving and projections are being lowered and stuff, it just seems like there's still such a if it's not an uphill battle at this point, it's still just a long kind of waiting period till we have a little more certainty and more antibody tests, more, you know, just proliferation of tests, all the sorts of things you'd need to actually even enable an empty arena type of resolution, you know, much less anything with fans. I don't know. Are you, where are you at on all that after another week has gone by? Time just passes you know, <laughs> just doesn't really have any meaning. But here we are a week <laughs> after we last recorded. Man, yeah. Um, what was I saying? It was just yesterday. It was a good Friday, and I had off from work. Mm-hmm. And off from work just meant I didn't have to turn my my work computer on at home. <laughs> and uh, it just felt like we were walking the dog. And I was like, you know, I don't really know what day today is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a Friday. It doesn't feel like a Saturday. It doesn't really feel like a Sunday. And then feel like any sort of weekday it just felt like a day yeah uh, yesterday, like you're just kind of living in the truman show yesterday definitely felt like saturday to me you know there are those days where it's like you wake up and you're like is it saturday and you eventually figure it out yesterday was like a day where every time i thought about what day it was i'm like oh it's saturday <laughs> you know because i was sort of off work i mean i still had little projects i was doing but you know, I was sort of off work, and it was just like, oh, okay, so it must be Saturday. But it wasn't. It was Friday the whole time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Quite the detective. And after I finally figured out what day was, <laughs> exactly. I could rest. Yeah, I mean, NHL situation, talking about that, it's just, it just sucks that you have to wait so long. And I, I get it. I understand it. But, like, it sucks that you have to wait so long just to get a idea on what could be happening even further down the line you know you probably have to wait another month month and a half two months before they can even say okay here's our plan for starting the season back up or starting the playoffs or what we're going to do with next season but you're not even going to hear any of that news for another four six eight weeks and yeah like that's what stinks and you've seen um I think the Blues have done a huge team-wide. Like their entire team was on a Zoom call, and Bennington was on a Zoom call with John Hamm and uh, Joe Buck, and that was like I looked at that. I'll have to, I guess I'll have to watch that as a Blues fan, but I also saw that it was an hour in length, and I said, "Nope, not, nope. that seems like something even I don't care about." Yeah. But like, it's interesting because a lot of these things are really fun to begin with. And I'm glad they're still doing them. They're not anything bad, but they're definitely. My interest in them is waning, where I'm just like, okay, yeah, and they're like, hey, it's 
Connor McDavid is dead left in his dog again. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, okay, well, well she was scoring goals. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just like, um, but yeah, it's just, it's too bad. And like you said, and it keeps hitting me over and over again. It's like every time I think, okay, well, maybe they'll be back in uh, August or something. Mm-hmm. You do have to remember that that's probably with no fans. Yeah. It just feels like, I don't think there's going to be a sporting event for the rest of the year where there are fans in attendance for the rest of 2020. It just seems like that would be, I'd be shocked. I'd be completely shocked. Um, and even creeping into the next year, you know, it just depends on how long it is. But I would, at that point, though, I think beggars can't be choosers. And you probably just like, you know what, screw it, man. I don't care. I'll watch empty arena hockey. Don't give, you know, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how fun and just kind of interesting that would be, you know, on a whole different level. But uh, yeah. It sucks that you have to wait so long. Yeah, I mean, it's a week at a time and everything. I mean, that's how time works, but you know. (laughs) No, but I definitely, I understand, like we've said, we sort of understand their decision to wait because you just don't know. But at the same time, like the one advantage that calling it off provides is just that sort of queen break where you don't have that sort of kind of anxiety of like, will they, won't they sort of thing. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, and we're not going to, you know, they're not going to call it off anytime soon because it doesn't, you know, they don't care. They prefer having the anxiety than just losing all the revenue, you know, so. <laughs> they want, um, yeah, they want the, they tell me there's a chance. Yeah, exactly. So they don't care at all about, you know, waiting and, and hanging us in limbo a little bit. But um, yeah, it's just, you know, in the in the interim, it's just kind of up to us, as you've all listened the last couple of weeks, to manufacture content for you all. And uh, hashtag content. <laughs> the good news is that the um, honestly, the the whole world is doing that. You know, so you know there are much more professional podcasts than ours that are also trying to look for made up reasons to talk about things and have a podcast and and i think you know our our friend shared gift jeff shared with us a clip from um jason manzukas on the uh crap what's it called it'll come to me some podcast some podcast like binge something yeah binge worthy is that it maybe uh anyway binge something uh (laughs) i'll look it up here in a minute but in any case he was talking about like one of the things, reasons he really likes podcasts is just having that, you know, consistency of the binge mode. Consistency of two people that he listens to talking, even if they're not talking about what they would normally be talking about, or if, even mm-hmm. if they're not together talking like they'd normally be together. And I've, I've found that same comfort in, you know, listening to other podcasts that I like, listening to... Um, Conan O'Brien's podcast or Steve Dangle or whatever, you know, even if they don't have hockey to talk about, at least it's something. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to do the same thing here. So we've manufactured some hockey to talk about by uh, having little player debates. Uh, you can, you guys can let us know if you enjoy this and we can do more of it next week or if it's terrible, you can tell us that too. But, um, just, you know, we kind of... Ian actually took this and ran with it after I made an initial one, so thank you, Ian. Um, But uh, we sort of took a look at two sort of similar players, either linked by, um, you know, nationality, team, um, draft position, just general sort of similar point output and kind of, 
you know, we're just kind of going to have a broad-ranging discussion about the pros and cons of each player. And um, kind of, I guess, are we just kind of answering who would we rather have on the Blues? Is that sort of like, you know, yeah, that's so, the, yeah. kind of the easier way to say which one's the better player sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not really looking at contract. Other things like age, you know, could be a factor, but not the deciding factor. Just kind of overall player output and, and, you know, kind of accomplishments. Uh, so the first one, this is the one I came up with to start out with. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau of the Calgary Flames versus much-beloved Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins. Who would you rather have on the Blues? Uh, Marchand, of course, a little older, has 646 points in 751 career games, whereas um, Gaudreau has 445 in 464 career games. So um, just by the eye test, that looks like more points per game for Gaudreau. Although it may not be that big a gap. Um, Gaudreau has one Lady Bing and no All-Star appearances, which surprised me reading this. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, and, <laughs> and Marchand had two All-Star appearances and obviously the one Stanley Cup very early in his career. Uh, but he's, you know, a good... Can, uh, completely transformed player that since then. Marchand, well known for being an antagonist, a shit disturber, a monster, a rap, whatever you'd like to call him. I feel like Johnny Hockey, by contrast, has kind of a uh, squeaky queen, you know, sort of reputation as far as anything I can think about. I'm sure uh, Oilers fans would feel differently about that the same way we feel about Joe Thornton, but, um, you know, I'd, it's kind of a question of do you want the guy, because to me, um, Marchand's probably the slightly better player uh, overall. Mm-hmm. He does more things for you. You know, Gaudreau might have a, you know, mildly higher point per game output, but I think Marchand's just the overall going to do more things for you. But also you get the shitty human being that you are going to have to defend every waking second on Twitter or not defend and just put up with, you know, which certainly isn't the Boston way. I hope it would be the St. Louis way more often than it is there. But Or you could have Goodrow, get the younger player, maybe the higher point output, but not as much kind of intangible. So what are your thoughts? Who would you like out of these two and why? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good debate because really um, I would say the – Marshan just because I think, like you said, I think he delivers more and more of a two-way player. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite him, I just watched the other day the Stanley Cup, you know, Game Seven highlights, oh. and uh, watching him take that ill-advised uh, line change there. So maybe not two hundred-foot player, maybe more like you know, hundred twenty-foot player. There was really only but, uh, those twenty feet between him and the bench. He was concerned about at that. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, I just need that six-second rest before our long seventeen-minute rest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think he's like the better two-way player. But Johnny Gaudreau, Johnny Gaudreau is so interesting because a lot of stuff was swirling around, I feel like, about him this season, prior mm-hmm. to the season being put on pause, um, just in the sense that like it kind of sounded like, and maybe it was just a manufactured storyline, that like this was kind of Calgary's like last hurrah with this group. Did it sound like that from another podcast or something that we both listened to? Yeah, but maybe I want to say... I, th- I think that was actually was that their thoughts. And yeah. that's one of the things that made it so, made it stand out so much is because Merrick asked him, and usually, you know, usually Friedman's pretty cautious to make 
real sweeping generalizations and he was basically like oh yeah definitely <laughs> and it was you know yeah that's right that's right that's why it was just so odd i mean it wasn't really odd to hear but it was odd that he was so yeah that he was just so on the nose like yep that's that's true i think this is the last shot with goudreau and money and i was like holy cow um so that aside though i don't think goudreau is like a bad player i mean he's almost hit 100 points in one season he had 99 and uh 18 19 he is he slowed down a little bit this year, but he was still probably going to be over 60 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a guy that I think he would fit in better on a team like St. Louis where he wouldn't have to be the star. I mean, I don't know who you're, you know, moving around to get him and blah, blah, blah. That's a whole other story. But, you know, I think on the Blues, he could actually be like a part of the machine versus being like, hey, you're Johnny Gaudreau. you got to carry the calorie plans, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if that makes him elevate his game at all, or if it just makes it so that his, his deficiencies like defensively are hidden a lot better. And, but then again, Marshan, you don't have that with him. Like generally speaking, he's a very good offensive player. Doesn't have a lot of dips in production. Uh, you can be, have as an antagonist, not that we necessarily need one, but, um, and again, like you're saying, if he was pulling shit in St. Louis, I would just, and people hated him, I'd probably just not say anything mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than defend them. I don't think I'd be like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> like, look at people, it's okay. Uh, I'm just like, oh, you know, well, that's who he is. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, you know, I think, I, I think I'd pick Goudreau just because I'd be more intrigued at what he would be with the Blues, you know? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's a really good point. I think it's interesting to consider, like, it feels like, Goudreau and somewhat and Calgary as a whole have really kind of, you know, they really sort of are inconsistent, I guess is the best word for it, where sometimes they seem like a, a top Stanley Cup contender and other times they seem like, you know, barely a playoff team, if that. And some of that's goaltending, obviously, but I think it is the output of some of those top guys like Monaghan and Goudreau and um, Sam Bennett and some of those guys that are on that top six. Um which is, it's kind of interesting because by contrast, Martian and and that so-called perfection line have just been so consistent for three or four years now, you know, that it's almost like you're, it's almost like you, you stand a better chance of Goudreau actually improving by moving to St. Louis, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, Martian is almost guaranteed to either drop off a little bit because he doesn't have Bergeron and Pasternak here or at the very most, you know, stay the same. And I think Mm -hmm. would probably drop a little bit just because you've got so much chemistry with that line. So that's a really interesting point you make about like watching them change and, and seeing how, you know, each one would transform by moving. Mm-hmm. I'm playing a lot of Pokemon. It's all about evolution, baby. <laughs> there you go. That's right. When you trade Johnny Goodrow, he becomes Johnny Good Great Drow, and that's the new Pokemon. <laughs> so you know what? Probably. <laughs> that's right. Don't give that many antis. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's just those are two interesting players. Uh, Marchand, I definitely think fits the Craig Berube style more. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess I haven't really given my choice on who I would choose. Um, it's weird. I think I lean Goudreau, too. And when I wrote this, I don't think I felt that way. So maybe you convinced me. Um, you know, 
we can all pretend like we hate Brad Marchand and he's the worst rat in hockey, and we do. But if he was a blue, we'd all embrace him. I mean, let's not pretend. You know, maybe we, maybe we'd be grossed out by his his stranger tendencies, like licking people. Which, if he ever does again, should in a post COVID world should definitely be like a lifetime suspension. But, oh my god! Um, <laughs> can you like imagine showing? Oh my god! You're right. That's so crazy. Imagine showing like. A child that grows up, you know, in ten years, like this is what someone did ten years prior to that virus outbreak. Oh my god! Yeah, we're licking each other <laughs> you ain't on the sad. ice. There's also people in the crowd, <laughs> not just chairs. That's so sad, uh, but true. Um, why don't we go ahead and move on to Jack Eichel versus Patrick Wynne? You did the, you chose these two because they're. Uh, a number both no both number two overalls easy for me to say why don't you walk us through the comparison yeah so that's it um you got <laughs> that's it. The it's the fact that they're uh, both number twos but actually looking at them it was very interesting because you've got jack eichel who was again drafted number two behind Connor mcdavid in 2015 uh he's played five years into or he's five years into his career here He's got 337 points in 354 games, so practically a point-per-game player. And then you have Patrick Laine, who, being on the Winnipeg Jets, uh, a lot of people, a lot of listeners will know all about, 247 points in 305 games, so not quite a point-a-game player, but also he has one more goal, 138 goals in his uh, career, which is one more more goal Jack Eichel has with 137. And that's pretty impressive for a guy that's played, uh, what is that, about 49 less games. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely the better goal scorer, which I think everyone probably knew. And it's just something where the Jack Eichel thing, I think, goes back to the reason I was intrigued by him was the same reason that I was kind of intrigued by Johnny Goudreau, where it's like he is the face of that franchise right now. And that sounds like, and I think this is more of a Steve Dangle um comment that I heard a couple, maybe a couple months ago at this point, but like Jack Eichel has done a lot for the Buffalo Sabres, but he also isn't like, I don't know how to phrase it. He's just not, I supposedly not the best locker room guy. Mm-hmm. Like he's not necessarily helping in that regard, but like he's helping on the ice. Most certainly I think he's stepped up as a captain and as a player on the ice, but I think outside of that, I think he's just, gets very, very frustrated, which is kind of understandable in Buffalo because you've got Ryan O'Reilly lost his love for the game there in two or three seasons. Um, it seems like that happens to a lot of guys. So I was just curious because he seems like he seems like the guy you pick, I should say, between Eichel and Lina. It's like, okay, it's Jack Eichel. Better better uh, point producer, probably better overall player, maybe minus possibly this year because I think uh, Lina supposedly improved his two-way game a lot. Mm-hmm. But also I think with Jack Eichel, you get a lot of sort of unknown where it's just like, is he a problem or is Buffalo the problem? I mean, it's probably Buffalo. But you just don't know. And I kind of think the same for Line, where it's like prior to this year, he wasn't necessarily a team player either. You know, he was he was very much uh, a points guy, a goals guy. Everyone loved him for that. But he just didn't seem like he was necessarily meshing with the Jets completely. Or so it seemed uh, to be coming out last year. And then this year, he seems to be much improved. And it just seemed like two young players, both drafted the second overall in their draft year. But also that just kind of are, are if you look at them, you don't look at them deeply they're very good players end of story but if you start to dig into like the stories around them they're just a, there's a lot more to them mm-hmm. you know there's a lot more i guess question marks there's a lot more like what will this player 
B as they move forward because they're both very young. Jack Eichel's 23. Uh, Patrick Line is only 21. But it's like, you know, what are these players? I don't know if I've ever, that I can think of, uh, seen a number two from any draft class just still be kind of like this thing where you're like, what are you? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, again, the answer is very good players. But, like, it's, I think it's an answer of are you elite or are you great? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really, I, you know, I think when you just say Eichel versus line A, and I just kind of have my gut reaction, I go Eichel immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think you make a lot of good points. Um, you know, I pulled up their um, Hockey Viz uh, page, which is, you know, an advanced stats play, page, and, and I pretend to understand what I'm looking at. <laughs> um, and, you know, the thing that jumps, they're actually, they make about the same impact offensively uh winnipeg mm. moves from a minus 12 percent threat without line a to a minus two percent with him and um buffalo moves from a minus 13 to a minus two uh with and without or without and with uh eichel but on defense is where you just really notice um you know eichel by this is is mildly negative impact but pretty negligible negative negative impact and line a is just a defensive sieve uh winnipeg's <laughs> defense moves from a plus eight percent threat which already isn't good to a plus 30 percent threat <laughs> and there's just a giant red splotch in front of the net um uh where you know line a is is not helping to stop and protect Hellebuck. So the thing, you know, you, you'd you look at that and you'd say probably Eichel, but the thing is I feel like our team is so much different from Winnipeg. I mean, so much different from both of them, you know, but like mm-hmm. I feel like our, our unit would be a lot better able to um, compensate for uh, Line A, and I just, I feel, I, I, I don't know why, because I would have sworn up and down to you I would have taken Eichel um, and I'm sure a lot of people would laugh at me for saying this, but I feel like I just feel like line A fits here for some reason, and I can't exactly tell you why. Mm-hmm. But if you have, you know, look at a power play that has line A and Tarasenko and either O'Reilly or Thomas in the center, you know, and then just have those two really just elite goal scorers on two of your lines. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, obviously, Line A's contract's a lot more flexible right now, which I said we wouldn't factor in. But, you know, if you did want to, that mm-hmm. is another problem. And I also think, you know, Blues, you can never have enough centers, but right now we have enough centers. So, um, you know, that's not something we need. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I think I feel like I go Line A at the end of the day, which I never would have thought. Um, but as I sit here and just kind of think about the whole picture of the team, I think, you know, if I'm starting a franchise, I probably, I almost certainly take Eichel, but mm-hmm. if I'm saying, who do I add to the blues right now? I might lean line. I don't know. Yeah. That's what, that's what I would go with. It's like Jack Eichel, I think is the better player for, if you're trying to build a team, but the fact of the matter is the blues are already a very complete team. And if there's anything that we probably do lack, it's goal scoring mm-hmm. at line A, line A adds that. And again, the fact that he, he looked like a better two-way player this year, he was a supposedly better two-way player and he was probably going to crack 30 goals pretty easily on a team that's 
also not that great this year. I mean, Winnipeg was teetering on a, a wild card spot there for a while, so they're not terrible, but also just not nearly as good as they were last year. And he was mm-hmm. still going to probably be far and away their best goal scorer. Um, maybe, uh, maybe uh, what's his name? The other one, uh, Wheeler, was, Wheeler, or, or Connor, or Connor. Connor might have had like 35, 36 goals or something. But anyways. Uh, yeah, I think I'd go line A, but I am intrigued by Eichel, if not only. He's one of those players that I just want traded so badly and not even necessarily to the Blues, but to any team. To because, yeah, because he's just in Buffalo, so just get the fuck out of there. And then we'll see We'll see if you're like, can sink or swim on a team, you know, a real team with other players. We've had a fair degree of success with um you know, disgruntled centers coming out of Buffalo. So maybe mm-hmm. it's maybe it's worth taking another shot on it. I just can you, feel can you imagine that? Oh my you like God. turn Jack Eichel into an I don't know, beyond elite player yeah. because he's already very good. It's like how could you even improve upon that? Oh that would be delicious. Um yeah, I don't it's just uh it's definitely a close conversation and it's interesting to think about. Line A made a lot of improvements since last year was really bad last year, uh, but, you know, it's better now. On the other hand, Jack Eichel does seem to score a lot of goals anytime the St. Louis Blues are on the uh, ice, so maybe that just translates. Uh, there or, are there are parts of the season I do like to forget. Yeah. I like the like, parts that were on pause from the very the, beginning. The parts where uh, Jack Eichel uh, piloned... Um, Oh, Robert Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> in, the, in the last bad play Robert Thomas will ever make in his career. Um, but yeah, that's a, it's an interesting discussion. And folks, you can always tweet us your thoughts on these or two players you'd like us to to discuss, if there's two you can think of. And it doesn't have to be active players. Um, I think we'll both admit our, our knowledge of history is probably weaker. Hockey history is weaker than we'd like it to be. I'm trying to improve it. Um, but... Um, yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll go throughout the ages, and just because we'll just because I'm th- yeah, we promise. <laughs> just because I'm thinking of it with the hockey history discussion, I just finished an article at the Hockey Writers, which took our '64 Player March Madness vote tournament and turned it into mm-hmm. an entire article where I discuss you know brief bio- biographies on all the guys and their impact with the Blues, uh, mm-hmm. with you know more more detail as as they went farther in the tournament, and that took me. Literally probably two, three weeks to write in short doses. Damn. So you, I'll tweet that out and y'all can go read it. Um, what'd you write about? Uh, what'd you write about Unga Bunga? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gary Unger. I just, you know, I just wrote that he. I feel like he's a guy that probably got the shaft a little bit because a lot of the folks who are going to vote on Twitter are folks like us who, you know, don't recognize that he was probably our best player in the seventies. Um, you know, and you can only, you can only do so much looking at stats like, yeah, he's got a lot of points, but that doesn't really mean anything. You know, all of us viscerally know what Jaden Schwartz contributes to this team. Nothing. Um, <laughs> that's exactly right. I can't even read, but, um, you know, so, but yeah, Gary Unger, Ungabunga, great player. Uh, Alexander Barkov and Evgeny Kuznetsov, um, did you pick this because they're both Russian centers in the East, or was it just kind of um, more off the cuff than that? Well, excuse me. First of all, oh, sorry, Barkov is a Finnish center. You're he's right. Finnish. Yeah, you um, can put Russian in quotes. You can put Finnish in quotes. He's not, <laughs> not really either. He's but, both and neither. Yeah. Was Was there any like 
unifying element other than that they were just two good good players that are sort of similar in some ways? No, not really. I guess um, I, I wanted to talk about Barkov, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I wanted an excuse to talk about Alexander Barkov. Um, but then when I looked up comparables for other players, I saw him getting Kuznetsov. Uh, they have both played the exact same amount of games, 479. Oh, They're both centers. Uh, Barkov has 407 points. Kuznetsov has 389. So it's that 18-point difference with Barkov having uh, 18 more. And Kuznetsov has uh, 17 more assists in a Stanley Cup. But Barkov has a Lady Bane, which we realize is also blah. Um, <laughs> you know. How fun is that? That's one of a number of NHL awards that are like, hey, we couldn't quite give you a heart trophy, but you didn't take a many penalties, so here you go. You can pull anything. I think with Barkov, it's more of a, hey, we couldn't quite give you a Selkie trophy, but mm-hmm. you didn't take penalties. <laughs> Here's the lady right. I'm like, I feel like you should have gotten a Selkie, but Selkie's always such a, um, it's just like the same three dudes over and over again. I'm glad it was it O'Reilly one last year, yeah? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I was just glad that we had someone else that got it, even if it, I mean, of course, because it was a player of ours, but it was like, it was just somebody else. It was always Bergeron. Uh, it's always like, who else is in there all the time? It used to always be Datsuk all the time. And Selkie is Kopitar's always in there, too. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's just like, you have to break, you have to break that barrier to get into those, like, the top three. Mark Stone is the guy now that everybody wants to push in there, but he's a wing, so he can't win it because that's not actually the rule. It's just the way the media thinks. I like that. The, I'm glad, you know, the Lady Ving is not as much of a punchline as it used to be, because when it was a fighting league, the Lady Bing was almost seen seen as kind of like an insult. I think, <laughs> was it maybe Marty St. Louis or somebody, I remember reading in like a Sports Illustrated for Kids or something, that he was going to win the Lady Bing, and he was quoted as saying, oh, I got to get in more fights, because <laughs> he was like the lowest penalty minute guy or whatever. Um, start slashing. But yeah, I think fortunately because of the evolution of the league a little bit, that's not as true, but it's still, you know, interesting to think about. So what do you think about these two players? You know, when I first looked these up, these guys up, I really just thought I'm just going to go with Barkov because I like Barkov better. I think he's an underrated player. He's probably what I think is the better center of the mm-hmm. two, you know, just at that position. And I, I still believe that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just one of those things where... Uh, I don't know. I I think he's better. Is he better at faceoffs? Let's see. Oh yeah, by a, by a wide margin. Actually, fifty one percent for Barkov. I thought wasn't going to be that good, but compared to forty three point seven percent by Kuznetsov, mm. uh, you know, Barkov's got him beat. Yeah, and I just think Barkov's probably better defensively. But this actually um, blew me away just how good Evgeny Kuznetsov is. Uh, with the three hundred eighty nine points and four hundred seventy nine games played, I I did not think that he was that big of a point producer at all. I don't know why. It just never struck me as such. And I guess he's much more of a assist maker than anything. But I I, I like I like the the energy of Kuznetsov. I like his, his you know flap on the wings when he scores and everything. It seems like he's having a good time. Uh, and these are two players that I always wish like the Blues had just because they seem like the kind of players that could really shine on a team, uh, especially Barkov, a team that that uh, has a little more consistency or has a little more, uh, I don't know what you say, like a better band of players around him. Kuznetsov mm-hmm. obviously won a cup, is on a very good team, but I just for some reason he's always stuck out to me as like a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. I think of the two though, I'd still pick Barkov. It's not really, not so much a comparison where one's going to beat the other 
or 11th. I don't know who's going to beat who in my mind. It's probably Barkov, mm -hmm. but I just thought it was interesting because I had no idea Kuznetsov was so good. Yeah. Well, he's got a real nose for the net, you know, so. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Snorting up goals left and right. That's what they say. No, uh, leaving that aside, uh, I am just, you know, have a, a completely illogical man crush on Sasha Barkov. So uh, it would be hard for me to pick almost anybody above him. But if you just told me, uh, you know, to think about these two on paper without looking at the numbers. I, I agree with you. I would not have thought they were anywhere near this close. Because that's also a really good player, jokes aside, mm -hmm. obviously, and I knew that, but I didn't think he was quite uh, this close to Barkov's level. It's interesting, though, looking at the Fenviz charts again, uh, you know, and advanced stats aren't everything, but it actually these charts make it look like the Capitals are a lot worse with Kuznetsov on the ice, which doesn't make sense from a point output. Uh, but there's a 17% loss uh, defensively and oddly a 15% loss offensively. Uh, so I don't know why that is, and I don't know, you know, it's probably not completely reliable. Um, the power play looks, you know, a lot stronger with him on it than without. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's just, um, I would lean Barkov just because of my pre-established prejudices towards him. Um, but it was, it was definitely closer than I thought it would have been. So, good call on those two. Oh, and we got Jamie Ben versus Claude Giroux. Who would have thought these two are even comparable? But they are. <laughs> That's right. Oh, poor Jamie Ben. Yeah, I, I feel a little bad for Jamie Ben. I feel like he gets a bad rap from Blues fans, which understandably so. Uh, a bad rap from the women as well, I believe. Dagger him. Jamie Ben has played in 814 NHL games. That's over the course of his 11 years in the NHL. He's had 688 career points. Claude Drew, 13 years in the NHL, 889 games played and 815 points. So Drew, the better point producer, with 0.92 points per game across his career. Ben is a better goal scorer with 43 more goals and 75 fewer games than Drew. Drew's a much better face-off man with 55.3% win rate versus Ben's 49.7. But Ben does have an Art Ross trophy in 2014-2015, but it was only with 87 points. What the fuck? <laughs> what year was what that? Like. Thing. What a weird season. Is that the year after the lockout, I guess? Yeah, like we've talked about this before, but I just, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why 87 points is top of the league. Did they do a bunch of changes, rules changes during the lockout, though? That, like... Uh, I don't think so. Not the limited scoring of that. Yeah, that's true. You're probably right. But yeah, but... Maybe that was just a year that, like, Sid was injured and, you know, a couple of the other big guys. <laughs> McDavid wasn't here yet. You know, some of that stuff. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. you didn't have McDavid. You didn't have uh, Dreisaitl. You didn't have any of these young guys. I mean, these much younger guys. This is when goatee men reign supreme. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we could still be a power forward and somehow get 87 points. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, good for him. He had an even better season next year, 89 points, and uh, no Art Ross trophy. So there you go. That's the breaks. Yeah, no kidding. Rough break for him. Uh, mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's it's an interesting comparison. I feel like Giroux is a player that does not, and I like the Flyers, but he just doesn't seem to move the needle for you much. 
Mm-hmm. Judging just mostly by the fact that he's been there this whole time and they haven't done anything. <laughs> you know, right? I mean, it's, you know, I hate to be that callous with it, but it just it's kind of true. You know, he's been in Philly since his whole career, and mm-hmm. you know, he's he's obviously a very good player, but he hasn't hasn't taken him anywhere near over the hump. I think maybe did the, he probably was in that Brian Lawton final, right? That they mm-hmm. made too, but you know, that seemed more like a fluke than anything, if I'm honest. Um, and that's just know. crazy. I just, I, I used to think of him as like Sidney Crosby's like rival and not just like rival, like, Oh, he's the other center you match up against, but like mm. as good. And that was when I didn't know as much about hockey to be fair. Yeah. But like, that's when I was thinking, Oh, these two are comparable when they're playing in the same division and they're playing in the same, and, you know, the same state, these two different cities, all this is really cool. And then it was kind of like, oh, wait, I get it. Claude Drew, very good player. Sidney Crosby, the best player. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay, so not quite. And I almost felt bad for Drew because sometimes they, they just match him up against Crosby. I was like, you know, that's that's great, but you're going to lose that matchup <laughs> yeah. times out of 10, and you're kind of wasting your best asset now. So uh-huh. it's like, why bother? Yep. You know, you're just killing your own team. So yep. I always think he's overshadowed. Um, not even by anyone on his team, but just the the best player that's in the same state, in the same division. I feel like Claude Drew is living in Sidney Crosby's shadow. That's just been my, like, maybe that's some sort of construct I made up. We kind of talked about this, sort of texted about this the other night, where it's like, maybe no one else views Claude Drew in the same way I do at all. But, like, that's how I always view him. Like, oh, Claude Drew, almost Sidney Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at Ben, you know what he has been, no pun intended, historically, and he clearly seems to be not that level of player in the last two years, uh, which wouldn't necessarily be surprising for a guy who's hitting 30 and has played that really physical kind of David Backus-esque style, right? He left here right around 30, isn't that mm-hmm. right? And then just fell off the table completely, so it's not... Not shocking. I mean, I, you know, we are rivals with the Stars, um, and, uh, you know, obviously I don't exactly necessarily want Jamie Benn to be great, but I always hate to see a player fall off quickly and early because of, you know, the way he played the game when that was what made him so successful. You know, it's, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a boxer who took a lot of shots, you know, I mean, that's kind of what Muhammad Ali did was his, you know, he had a style where he, he dodged a lot and ate a lot and just out most of his opponents and that eventually caught up to him and it just kind of sucks to see that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I, I feel like I still maybe lean Drew here. Uh, he's certainly better at face-offs. Seems like the better playmaker type. I'm not sure he's the better influencer, better, um, you know, locker room guy, obviously the better ladies man, as you already pointed out. No no questions there. Jamie Ben a complete fail in that regard. But um, you know, he's did he's Claude, did Claude Drew grab some uh some female police officer's butt? Oh God, I hope not. Like I think that. so. I think he did like in the off season oh, one year, like no. like three or four years back. Oh no, but I take back everything. I was just trying to take <laughs> that everything. aside. We can talk about the player themselves. <laughs> I was just trying to take. Yep, you are completely correct. Flyers closure jail <laughs> for groping cop makes list of dot 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 Philadelphia athletes silliest arrests. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, uh, this is the kind of content you need during the quarantine. Number one is Claude Giroux. Number two um, is Jason Peters, an Eagles offensive tackle. Six-time Pro Bowler was arrested on June 12, 2013 for drag racing and trying to flee, flee police in Louisiana. Escaped with just a $656 fine. Oh, come on. What? Uh, Lenny Dykstra, known as Nails, was nailed by the law on October 19th with the three-time All-Star pleaded no contest to three Grand Theft Auto charges. Lenny, Why? I know he was, I know he's messed up and has a lot of drug problems, but that's, you're just real crazy. Uh, Dion Lewis running back arrested for pulling a fire alarm outside their Albany hotel, a Hampton Inn. <laughs> both, Lewis, both Lewis brothers were drunk when returning at 4.40 a.m. to their hotel, which had its doors locked at midnight. The brothers reportedly banged on the lobby's sliding glass doors in an attempt to get in, then pulled the alarm. Oh, boy. Uh, there are a whole list of ten of these, so I'm not going to go through all of them. But uh, Philadelphia, get your shit together. Um, You'll never believe what number seven was. Is that what that's your hook to try and get people to go reading? Okay, I was like, uh, I don't know, I didn't read it, man. You must have got <laughs> you got through that faster than I am. Eddie Griffin was once a six foot ten prep basketball star in Philly at Roman Catholic High School. Uh, what did he do? This is crazy. Griffin was arrested for crashing his SUV into a parked suburban in a parking lot while intoxicated and allegedly masturbating to a porn movie from a DVD player mounted on his <laughs> dashboard. <laughs> <laughs> Griffin wound up pleading guilty guilty to a petty misdemeanor. Dude, just be late. <laughs> yes. Like, the best advice you can give. Just be late. Oh boy. Um yeah, so there's your arrest history. Ian, did you have a, a an up or down decision on Ben versus Clojure? I think I'd go Giroux. Yeah, yeah. We like him still, even if he's not that good. Um, <laughs> let's go on, move on to two old, old men. Zach Parise of the Minnesota Wild and uh, temporarily almost of the New York Islanders, but not because trade deadline doesn't get to be fun. And Joe Pavelski, who Ian, I don't know if you know this, very, very underrated at deflecting the puck in front oh, of so him. underrated. Uh, so, uh, Ben, or sorry, Ben, Parise has played 1,015 career games and has 792 points. Obviously, um, a lot of that is early on in his career. But, you know, I think I think I feel like Parise dropped off more severely in Minnesota than he actually has when I'm, mm. you know, actually looking at the numbers. I mean, he had the 94 point season in the 82 point season in uh new jersey and obviously has never come close to getting that but he's had 56 points 62 points 53 and then recently 61 and he was probably on track for at least 50 plus again this year so you know more consistent than maybe i give him credit for versus uh joe pavelski who has played 1030 career games 67 of those in dallas this season uh they did not get what they paid for um only 31 points in that time but uh career he has 792 points in 1030 games uh and you know has averaged 18 minutes 45 to 1828 for parise um 
what are your thoughts on this pairing? I had to look up real quick because uh, you were talking about Zach Parise not dropping off as, as much as you thought he had when he left Detroit, Detroit, when he left New Jersey and he went to uh, Minnesota. And I felt the same way. I was like, oh, he's like a 50, 60 point player. He like consistently for the first three quarters of that contract, if not more. And a lot of his numbers actually remind me a lot of David Backus and David Backus in his prime here. You know, he had like, I had to look it up, a 54 point season, 48, 62, 54, 57, 58. So yeah, about, about that. So like if you're getting David Backus, like prime David Backus as Zach Breeze up in Minnesota, that's kind of what you need. You know what I mean? I think he's a little more crafty. He's not as much of a power forward, but I think he kind of tries to play that role despite being a really, you know, small guy, generally speaking. Um, and then Joe Pavelski, we, we all know about. We all, we all, I, I kind of dislike him. I don't know why. Probably just because he's so underrated. I, yeah, we never hear about him. Because it. NBC but, uh, there's no question. Yeah. Yeah, blame NBC. I just don't like the Sharks in general, too. Which I know know he's not a shark anymore, but A, he's a star, which is just as bad, and B, you know, he's basically (laughs) still a shark. Yeah, but I was surprised how close these guys were, uh, you know, statistically. And because I honestly thought Chobovelski was going to be a lot better than uh, Parise. In fact, they're, what is that? They have the same career points? Um, Yeah. Wow. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Wow. So Parise has done it in fifteen fewer games. Obviously, some of that was earlier on in his career. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's impressive. Good, good call. Good, mm-hmm. good choices. I guess Pavelski has been more consistent, and I don't think he's been nearly as injury prone mm-hmm. as Parise. Parise, I think, uh, had back problems for a while and a few different leg injuries. But you know, oddly enough, I still. I don't know. Actually, you know, for I was really going to say I'd rather take Zach Parise uh-huh. at the end of the day, but I think I might take Joe Pavelski. I don't know why I'm winning Parise, and maybe it is just the personal dislike. Um, when I think about the Blues, I do think about their biggest need being someone who can deflect the puck into the net, and so that to me screams Joe Pavelski. <laughs> oh yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I mean Parise. Obviously, if contract is a factor here, then it's Pavelski by a mile. Oh yeah, easy. But um, if Pavelski's still on a crappy contract, if you pull, if you take Zach Parise out of it, yeah. like the three years for what six million a year, yeah, seven, I think maybe. But, ooh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I think maybe, I think my head says Pavelski and my heart leans Parise. Mm. And so I should probably go Pavelski. I like how you wrote, which underrated vertically challenged geriatric rules the bridge table (laughs) because bridge is something old people play and only old people. Um, Mm. you want to talk us through this next matchup of Aaron Ekblad and Oliver Ekman Larson? Yeah, this so is just I a, a matchup of X people with X in their name. Yeah, exactly. So, I didn't even think about that way until X into the mix. Yeah, I didn't think about that until uh, I I was trying to find defensemen that were comparable, mm-hmm. and a lot of them just a lot of them just weren't. Speak, and defensemen's kind of hard because if you're not comparing a offensive defenseman, it's like okay, um, I'm comparing you know Mark Giordano to some other guy, and like there's always feels like in a comparison there's one defenseman that's just got way more points and it's like okay i can't find comparable so i kind of went with two that weren't quite comparable but i just thought they were on 
teams that you you don't watch very often between the Panthers and the uh, Coyotes, and they're both very good defensemen, I think. And so it's more just like the the unheralded defenseman, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Aaron Ekblad picked what first overall in twenty fourteen uh, by the Florida Panthers. He played there for six years, four hundred fifty eight career games, two hundred twelve points. And then you got Albrechtman Larson who's played uh, was a 10 years in Arizona, Arizona Phoenix split the difference, uh, 723 career games, 364 points. Uh, I'll recommend Larson, better point producer there, but he's also five years older than Ekblad. Uh, both have similar possession numbers with around 50% career Corsi four. And I think when I looked at their relative Corsi four, they were both like two to three percentage points above the rest of their team or above the average on their team. So, you know, pretty good defenseman. And then it really came down to me to like age. I think Oliver Larson is probably your better defensive defenseman of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also he's he's 28, and I would think he's more like Petrangelo. He's probably going to age well. But then I look at Ekblad, and I think, man, you know, he hasn't maybe been as impressive as some people were hoping. Mm-hmm. But he's also only 23. He's still only 23 years old. It feels like he was drafted like. I mean, he was drafted in 2014. It feels like he was drafted ages ago, six years ago. And he's still only 23. That's ridiculous. And that, again, I'd love to see what he would do on a team that maybe doesn't have to slot him in a uh, top pairing. I'm assuming that's what he pay, plays down there. Maybe it doesn't. But, you know, a guy that could be, uh, you know, in a Colton Perico situation where he's playing behind, you know, a really awesome number one mm-hmm. where he doesn't have to be that guy on the right sider. I don't know. I'm going to mm-hmm. guess. I'm going to say sure. Um, I'd love to see what he can do. I think what you have in Ekman Larson is exactly uh, what he is right now. You know, you'd see what he, what you have, and that's what you get. Whereas I think Ekblad, you could you could get more out of him, and he could actually develop into something even better. And so for me, I always I was thinking I'd lead Ekblad just because I'm I'm curious what his career trajectory will be like. He's the Ek that ekes it out for me. <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like Ekblad is more interesting to me. Like, Ekman Larson is fine to good to great, but just doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't excite me very much, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably the wrong way to think about it. But, um, this better excite you. Um, but, uh, Ekblad, yeah, I just feel like get him out of Florida and see what he can actually do. Um, you know, and, and, That'd be just interesting to me to see if, like you said, if he's still got some climbing to do as a player. And there are, you know, I think there are defensemen who get better and better with age. I feel like Mark Giordano is a good example of that. Obviously, Ekblad's nowhere near the 400 years old Mark Giordano is. But, you know, there are those players that just continue to improve, uh, especially, you know, defensively and and that's such a different aging curve to Mm -hmm. me where, you know, I just feel like a defenseman is in his prime from like 26 to 33 or something like that. You know, that's kind of just a random number. Whereas like a a great forward is more of like 23 to 28 or whatever, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just, I don't know. It just feels like I would probably lean Eck that way too, just because of the age or sorry, (laughs) Eckblad. And I realize (laughs) Eck doesn't really solve anything. Uh, but yeah, and then uh, at the end here, you gave us two goalies to talk about. Mm-hmm. Tell us. Sergey Bobrovsky versus Braden Holtby. I had to do two goalies because I was like, we did one, we did a defenseman, we did two defensemen, we got to do goalies now. 
and I wanted to do problematic goalies because it's it's one thing if you're like I don't know Carey Price versus uh, you know yeah you know you just have two of the best goalies like which one do you take like that's so hard they're so very good it's like let's do some let's do two goalies that are inconsistent but in different ways so like. Bobrovsky is the way more erratic of the two goalies. Uh, he's posted a .899 save percentage one year, and the following season he had a .932 save percentage, <laughs> which I believe was his first Vesna year. Uh, then seasons later, he was sinking back down to .908. Then he was back up the next year, .931. Like, he's just all over the place, and you never quite know exactly what you're going to get with them. Holtby has been much steadier, uh, staying about a 0.92 save percentage in six of his first seven seasons. But then recently he's actually sort of sort of gone down the tubes a little bit there with uh, things like 0.907. He's got a 0.911 uh, season for last, and he's at a 0.897 this year. And then again, Bobrovsky just having an awful season uh, this year in Florida, his first year in Florida after signing that huge contract. But they're historically, they've been very good goalies, um, you know, in awards-wise. Bobrovsky has two Vesnas. Uh, Holtby has a Vesna, Jennings, and Stanley Cup. It, they have been good goalies in the past. Um, it's just kind of what are you going to get from these two guys? There are a lot of question marks. And then Holtby is a, on top of all that, a UFA this summer or, you know, whatever, whenever people will be UFAs this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just don't know what sort of, I'm, everyone assumes that Washington's not going to resign them. They've got uh, Samsonov that they're going to bring in. And they, I think they have an even better goalie behind Samsonov, too. They have a really strong goalie uh, pool. Do you mean Samsonov? Samsonov, Samsonov, What do I call him? Samsonov. You've got to, with the Russians, it's always that middle syllable, you know. Oh, okay. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I haven't learned anything. Don't. Um, don't do it. You know what I yeah, think I just, is that other cultures are bad and worse. Yeah, they're wrong. And they're wrong. And oh. so that's how we should do it here. You're not from America. My first question is why not? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Why would you choose another country? Exactly. The <laughs> Dutch in the world. There are people who've lived their whole lives in the Netherlands, Ian. Mm-hmm. And, which, and which one is it? And what is it? Yeah, pick one. You're either Dutch or you're Netherlandish. You can't be both. <laughs> I don't even understand. Exactly. And you all wear orange. They wear orange for their soccer team. That's orange right. crush. Right? Orange, bright orange. Ugh. You know what? We could talk about the Dutch and how much we hate Dutch people for a long time. I'll be on our soccer podcast. That's right. That would be a better fit. Uh, man, I don't know. Were you done breaking these two down, or or? Yeah, I just was going to say, like, I for me. I guess I I think I would lean Bobrovsky just yeah. because I feel like he's gonna rebound and when he yeah. re- <laughs> he rebounds he rebounds hard. Yeah, yeah. I whereas feel Holtby like, I think is on the downward swing here. I feel like there's just less chance that Bobrovsky is washed. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, again, this is another case where if contract is an issue, then Holtby because I get to write his contract still, and Bobrovsky's mm-hmm. is already bad. But um, yeah, I just feel like Bobrovsky. At his, at their best, Bobrovsky is much better, and I also feel like Bobrovsky. There's just less chance he's done, mm-hmm. and so I think I think I lean that way. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a to- it's a close one. I feel like mm-hmm. I feel bad for Holby just because I think 
the last couple seasons he's been kind of trash and like you know just not a very good goalie and yada yada like yeah these these last couple seasons for sure and that's what have you done for me lately I understand but the guy's been crazy consistent for the for the you know first three quarters of his career thus far and I was like I I don't know I'm sure Washington Capitals fans understand that and see that but I just feel like I see a lot of negativity around him and it's like yeah not good now but like don't don't start talking about him like he's always been bad it's the weird. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury thing, where like he won you guys a, a cup, and then he helped like backstop you to like another one too, right? Mm. Like you, mm-hmm. even with Murray and stuff in there, it was just like it was starting to turn into like, what has Mark Andre Fleury done for us? And like, be a fantastic goalie. So, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know, what, don't know what else you want. Yeah. Uh, another thing, a fun little comparison you might not have known here, but as you, I mean, you did mention in the notes, but uh, Bobrovsky is the only. Uh, multiple-time active Vesna winner, and Holtby is the only goalie to have won a uh, Vesna, a Jennings, and a Stanley Cup. So they're both some of the most decorated goalies for different reasons. But yeah, that's an interesting debate. And as we said, folks, you can you can let us know on Twitter, at 2guys1cup, what your thoughts are, because we'd love to hear it. And hey, if you liked it, tell us. We'll do more of these next week. Give us your suggestions if you hated it. Tell us. We can take it. We're grown-ups. I can't take it. I definitely can't, can't take, take it. it. Only, only let us know if you're married. Got a fragile <laughs> psyche. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we've got more stuff, but that's probably the end of the hockey content. Uh, there will be some some dipping in and out here. But, uh, Ian, um, I don't know if there's anything you want to talk about other than these uh, – um, wonderful charts. These the Twitter world. You know, we're we're as we said, we're all globally on a uh, search for content, hashtag content, um, and just reasons to discuss things, reasons to get out of bed in the morning, <laughs> reasons to put on anything but sweatpants. Um, and uh, one of the th- one of the trends, one might say a meme, but I'm too young and I recognize that this isn't quite a meme. It's it's a viral trend. That's a different thing. But uh, <laughs> but one of the trends that's sweeping the internet right now is these you can pick three of, and there are usually nine options, sometimes more, sometimes less. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can pick three of these following things uh, for the rest of your life, or and then, you know, three, the other six you have to get rid of. Uh, so... I like it. I think it's fun. It's going to be a little choppy to keep track of uh, on, mm-hmm. you know, just visually because we're talking about nine things at a time. But, um, you know, we'll, I'll, if if I remember, I'll try to tweet these out in one big thread so you can go find them and look at them as, you di- as we discuss them, if that is your want. Uh, but you, where do you want to start, Ian? Do we want to just do these top to bottom, or do we want to pick certain ones and start there? How are you feeling? Uh, we can go top to bottom. I tried to kind of spread a lot. I'll be honest with you, folks. If you're hungry, I'm so sorry. Most of this is food. Cats, uh, go grab some kibble and, uh, you know, hit the pause button. I don't know if pause work on the pause button or if that's like, oh. going to throw off the heat sensitivity, but give it a shot. Uh, if you can speak to Alexa loud enough in English, I know you're a cat, but you can make it work. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to start with, I think, one of the better ones here, uh, which is St. Louis food. 
Uh, we have listed one through nine, and we, you know we won't make you keep track of the numbers because that's brutal. But uh, toasted ravioli <laughs> uh, real, looks like real good toasted ravioli too. Mm-hmm. High class. Uh, number two is red hot riplets. Number three, lion's choice. Four uh, is Emo's pizza or just St. Louis style pizza. Five, Ted Drew's frozen custard. Six, gooey butter cake. Seven, uh, barbecue. Now, interesting. Do you want to talk about it as ribs specifically or as barbecue in general? Because that um, that might might weigh it differently for me. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know what? We're gonna we'll say barbecue because we do have quite a few different barbecue places around here that are very St. Louis driven. It's you hard know? to tell from this picture too if that's a ribs or a pork steak, which pork steak is pretty St. Louis too. So it's maybe it's a pork steak, in which case that's a totally different discussion. <laughs> number eight, Gus's pretzels, and number nine, St. Louis Bread Co. Uh, St. Louis style sliced in shareable bits for for her pleasure <laughs> uh, okay. i gotta start i gotta start with this you got a hot take a scorching hot yeah. take yeah, yeah. So, so the same i think we've mentioned this before i'm sure we talked about this at the time it was it was a big deal earlier this year i think last yeah. year i can't remember uh yeah the same has list. no meaning so yeah probably yeah, technically last year but not that long ago yeah so these st louis style bagels the bread sliced bagels if you like bagels that way cool nothing against you Mm -hmm. but if you're like this lady on twitter i saw that said and i have i have to believe she was trying to antagonize somebody please for love of god don't actually believe this she said this is the correct way to eat a bagel i was like get the fuck out yeah no no that would that's like taking a chair turning upside down sitting on the bottom of the chair like this is the correct way to sit on a chair no (laughs) you can sit on a chair that way but that's not the correct way here's the thing it's great if you're like in a church function or any kind of group office setting and you slice them that way that makes total sense are you sure because then somebody can grab a, a, a slice or two and not eat a whole bagel and great uh have as much as they want or as little as they want mix and match styles makes perfect sense if mm-hmm. you would at a table uh, on your own who's ordered one bagel from bread co want to eat it that way still fine that's your prerogative but that you cannot tell me is the proper way because first of all is there a proper way at that point because it's just how you want to eat it but more importantly mm-hmm. it's you're, it's not there is a proper way and that's not it uh, <laughs> but you know it's fine just don't tell me that's like the that when I cut it in half and put stuff on it, like you've always seen bagels your entire life, you're uh-huh. like, that's wrong. Like, okay, no, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Uh, you're right. How about that? That's right. That's also, right. I could lose it. I don't care about them. Yeah, exactly. Who cares? Nobody cares. Uh, all right, Ian, hit me with your three. And then uh, we can, let's do our three, and then we can kind of talk through them individually and do our process. And we can just rip in the St. Louis foods. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, you know, I don't eat a lot of toasted ravioli, but when I do eat toasted ravioli, it's awesome. Yeah. So I, I got to keep toasted ravioli. This is hard. And then, I, and then you know, I'm gonna say regardless of what the barbecue is, if it's a pork steak, it's it's ribs, it's and just St. Louis barbecue. I got to keep St. Louis mm-hmm. barbecue. That's a whole. That's a whole thing. That's between like, what do you want to go out and eat? It's like, do you want to eat Thai food? Do you want to eat? Uh, burgers and something, or do you want uh, barbecue? Those are like the three things yeah. for me, or maybe like pizza. I three guess. major food groups. Yeah, 
So toast ravioli, barbecue of some kind, and then, oh uh, boy, I like Gus's pretzels, but they're also pretzels. They're just mm. pretzels. Okay, they're very good. They're very good pretzels. Gooey butter cake. I like sweets, but also I, I don't have to have gooey butter cake. And I, I do like Lion's Choice. I enjoy Lion's Choice. I think. But I don't know if that's right. Red Hot Ripplets are good, but they're not like, they're not, you don't have to have them. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to say four is like St. Louis style pizza versus Emo's, um, I can go that way. I can go toast ravioli, barbecue, and like St. Louis style pizza. But if it's Emo specifically. So give us your hot Emo's take. Give it, uh, give it to us. It's just, Emo's just okay. It's just okay to me. I think it's fine. It's fine food. It's kind of, uh, as we were talking about, and I had to look up, kind of overpriced. Oh, it's definitely bit. overpriced, severely so. Um, I do like their toaster ravioli, very good. I think if I'm getting a style pizza, I'm getting Cecil Whitaker's pizza. Mm -hmm. You know, see Mr. Cecil, friend of the podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah we'll sponsor Cecil Whitaker's day and night. As you pointed out to me yesterday, they have, what, two days that are customer appreciation days? Yeah, I think Tuesday and Thursday are, yeah. And, was like, and what is that exactly? It's like it's Results. super cheap cheese pizzas that is then like a buck fifty per extra topping. So I think you can get a large like pepperoni and sausage for like under ten dollars. It's ridiculous, and I think it's carry out okay. only. But to me, that's always like okay. Then I'll just go. <laughs> I carry yeah, out a lot fine. of times anyway because I'm saving five or ten bucks on delivery. You know, well, oh, yeah. with fee and that. tip, it's always ten and usually more than that. So. Yeah, and see, like, if I'm not, if it's Emo's, then I'm, do I go Ted Drew's? But I don't even really, Ted Drew's again, much like Emo's, fine, very, very fine, yeah, so very fine. But I like Fritz's better. Let's I like just Andy's discuss better. this. Emo's and Ted Drew's are the standard bearer because of longevity and, mm -hmm. and location. You know, I think they've just got the more historic locations. But I think in both cases, other St. Louis establishments have come along and perfected the form. I just think they have, I just, you know, you know, somebody invented the violin and then it's a Perlman grabbed a violin and made it better by playing it. You know, so like, that's okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just think I, I, I never, I, I will, I'll go to emos and I think I, I probably, Maybe like it a little more than Cecil's, but I will never pay for Emo's over Cecil's. And pretty much the only time I go to Emo's is when someone else insists on mm, it. That's pretty much me, yeah. And um, I think, you know, I don't... Is Fortel still around? I know the one by me closed, but are I there still it others? It was real good. I liked Fortel's a lot. Um, but yeah... Pizza. Pizza den always creeped me out. I'm like, what's in the pizza den? Yeah, and that was not great. Um, but Cecil's <laughs> is great, and yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I would, this is gonna be this is gonna be blasphemous. I would say Ted Drew's is not only okay; it's like on the downside compared to Fitz's and, um, Andy's. It's just not nearly as good to me. Maybe it's because you have to go there and stand in line, and it's hot. And it's, mm -hmm. it's usually runny by the time I get a little bit. But, like, I just don't know. I don't know. I will say this, though. 
And this this is my hot take. So I've got no time for Red Hot Ripwits, but that's just because I'm not much of a hot food person. They're fine. They're okay. I just would yeah. never be like, this is the thing I want right now. I don't have a lot of time for Lion's Choice, which uh, I, I know is uh, controversial. It's that's fine. That's it's fine. fine. Honestly, it's but I'm never I'm never like you know what I gotta get right now some Lion's Choice. <laughs> that's not me. You know that's true. I will admit they if you put a list of a bunch of other fast foods and stuff on there, I'm not picking Lion's yeah. Choice. Yeah, that I think that's it. I now if it's Lion's Choice versus Arby's, I go Lion's Choice. A hundred times out of ninety-five, uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. So I think, man, this is hard because the ones that are like, so Bredco and Gus's are both out because they're fine, but they're just fine. You know, just bread. I like pretzels a lot, but it's still just pretzels. The ones that are hard for me are toasted ravioli, pizza, and barbecue. Seem like the right call. Mm. And partially because they cover more ground, you know. Mm-hmm. But, man, a, a gooey butter cake is like a holiday tradition in my family. And frozen custard is great. But I, th- I think I'm sticking with that last side. I've, I've thought for a long time that gooey butter cake was for sure on there. But it's kind of like you said, like, I just don't have it as much as I want, like barbecue or, or St. Louis style pizza. So those mm-hmm. are my three, too. Is that what you settled on? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, that's a good list. And now we can move on to a hockey, hockey topic from our friend Josh Hyman at, uh, at Josh Hyman NHL on Twitter, as probably most of you know him. Uh, <clears throat> sh- uh, this is the best moments of the St. Louis Cup run. Uh, you know, pick three of nine again. Shin's game seven goal against the Boston Bruins. Bennington's save in second overtime of um, uh, Game 7 of the Dallas series, which I'm not sure is as much a save on Bennington as it is a a failure on Ben's part. (laughs) But um, who knows? Uh, Bennington's save on Mark Scheifele in uh, the Winnipeg series, which I have an autographed poster of, thanks to our friend um, Jordan. Did I ever show you that while you were over here, Ian? I don't think so. Oh, man. We'll have to when we ever get to break quarantine. Uh, Alex Petrangelo's Game 7 goal, is that that's the Marchand one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaden Schwartz's last second game-winning goal against Winnipeg in Game 5. Tarasenko's penalty shot goal against the Sharks. I want to say that was also Game 4 or 5. Uh, I think it was Game 5, yeah. Patrick Maroon's second overtime winner, obviously. Gunnarsson's overtime winner in Game 2. And Bennington's Game 7 winner. I will say this. Bennington's Game 7 save is unquestionably the best moment to me. Yeah. Because that is and will forever be the moment where I was like, oh, the Blues are going to win the Stanley Cup. That was the first time I, I actually believed. Even though at that point it's still what, four to one, three to one? I think it was I think, it was, I think it was three or no, maybe it was two nothing. It was, oh, the, was, third, that still it was two the third nothing? period. Oh yeah, because the one came after the other four, right? Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, that was like that was the time where I was like, Okay, we could actually win this. Uh so that's for sure for me. I'd agree. I I weirdly feel like I lean Gunnarsons winning goal over Maroons. And I don't know why. <laughs> I don't... It doesn't make sense to me. Like, Maroons should is the best... It's the most significant goal of the entire playoffs. Mm-hmm. 
But I just, I don't know. I think it's probably because it's like his part of the goal was just knocking a puck into an empty net mm-hmm. after Thomas did all the work. And that's no shot at Maroon. It's just true. He'd probably tell you the same thing, you know? But like, I don't know. I In my head, I know I have to say Maroon's goal. But something about that Gunnarsson goal, it was our first Stanley Cup whenever. I think it just made it all feel possible to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say... There's a fun story with Gunnarsson's OT goal, too. Yeah, oh like, yeah, that too, for shot. sure. And then I would probably say Petro's Game 7 uh, goal. It's just, you know, there, there were some great moments in the Winnipeg series, but just at the end of the day, it's not. It's so early in the playoffs, it's just not going to carry the same weight. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't lean towards any of those. And Tarasenko's penalty shot was great, but we pretty much beat the dog out of the Sharks for like <laughs> two straight games. So it's it, it was a good moment, but it was kind of like pouring gasoline on an already raging fire. So, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, think, think I think gun to my head, I say Petro's game seven goal, Bennington's save for sure. And then I'm going to be a rebel and say Gunnarsson's overtime winner. Yeah, I mean, I think those are the ones I honestly would go with. It's just like the two big moments. I mean, again, you know, nothing against Pat Maroon's double OT goal. I think something you lose with that is the fact that there's just so much waiting through the first OT, and then I can't remember when it was in the second OT they scored it, but there's just so much. Seven minutes in or something. Yeah, and I think I think it was one one for so long. You know, like the last time Dallas scored to tie it up was early enough in the game that there was like it might have been in the third period but I don't think it was like the whole third period went scoreless and it was just like so when you put all that together then you remember how significant like that goal felt on top of it obviously I mean the game winner series winner was just like this whole time you had to wait and sit or lay on the ground you know perhaps um but yeah I think other than that Bennington's game seven save has to be one of these three that I pick uh Gunnarsson's OT winner in game two was one just because, yeah, it felt real. It felt like, oh, they finally won a Stanley Cup game. Mm-hmm. And maybe and because the first game against the Bruins was, like, close and it felt okay, but it did also just feel like the Blue, Bruins beat the Blues. It's like, oh, no, 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 this does not feel good. <laughs> that was enough to be like, okay, 1-1. One, one. This, this is a series. We you took know. a game in Boston. You know. Yeah. And then I, I the Petro's game play. seven goal has to be it because that was like the I think that was the beginning of the dagger you know that was like the the O'Reilly goal was like oh very nice I'm glad we scored that goal despite the fact we didn't get a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on the Bruins towards the end that's always you know as we always talk about that late period goal you let it it's like ooh that's too bad for them I was like okay we got some life we survived that survived that whole first period we're probably not going to play another period like that it's one nothing Ray, and then all of a sudden petra scored one with you know four seconds left like, oh my god the beauty of marshan just peace and it's never going to get old to me you know <laughs> oh so good yeah but i think but i tell you what though i think the games petra's game seven goal and I'll, i think i'll always go back and forth on this for like as long as i live petra game seven goal was like the thing where i'm like oh like oh boy this is, I don't know. Like, at least we have a lead. We've got a cushy lead now. This is pretty good. But the Shen goal, I mean, there was eight minutes left. So, like, in all honesty, you should have just won because it's 2 nothing. But also, it's eight minutes left in game seven, and you're in Boston. It's against the Bruins. They're a very good team. You could most certainly still lose a game. But yeah. It's 2 nothing with oh, eight yeah. minutes. But Shen's goal, I remember being like, oh, my God. 
like no way like three <laughs> nothing with eight minutes left they're like no way yeah. like they're actually gonna win yeah i think that's when that actually played for us like no they'll win now yeah. like and it was like too giddy and then the the sanford goal was almost like this non-thing where i was like i don't, I don't even care <laughs> I couldn't it. Uh, it was just yeah that was i might have to leave shen's goal just because i think that's when it the synapses went off of my brain and i was like i think it was the winner yeah, I get that. I get that. So who are your final three then? I think it's Bennington's Game 7 save, the Gunnarsson uh, OT goal in Game 2, and Shen's Game 7 All right, that's goal. fair. That's fair. That's funny that we both lean away from the Maroon one, and I think part of it, as you kind of alluded to, is that you were just so raw at that point. Mm-hmm. And so honestly trauma trauma stricken that it was just like oh thank it was almost more of a relief than an excitement you know that's the thing is i think something about just the time that has passed since that series and i shouldn't feel this way but i feel like oh of course we won against dallas yeah mm-hmm. like that shouldn't have been at all i've said it before i think it's probably like their blues hardest fought series maybe after the Bruins, maybe even tied with them just because yeah. it went to Game 7, it went to double OT. And we a had lot to of come back from down 3-2. Yeah, exactly. We There were some games we played against the Bruins where we played really well, but the Bruins outplayed the Blues handedly. And I don't think there was a single game against the Stars where either teams got demolished other than maybe, if I can think of it, maybe Game 6 yeah. that we played against. Them. But other than that, it was just constantly back and forth. And so um, yeah, just something about that series for some reason, despite everything I just said, I'm always like, ah, we should have beat him, of course. Next, you know, I don't know why, but yeah, for some reason, I think the, the Bru- everything I guess just makes sense. The Bruins series is the one that was most recent and just the most scary and nail biting for the whole thing. But those, any moment in that feels like that much more magnified in my mind, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think another one that deserves some consideration kind of for that same sort of logic is the Pareko caving in Ben Bishop. Because that was the one that was the one where it's like, oh, so we know we'll win game six and mm-hmm. get to a game seven. You know, it was kind of... Yeah, that, you, you forget that. Yeah, it was kind of that same shin goal kind of mindset that you have where it's like, oh, okay, so we're good here and now we got to go win game seven, you know? Yeah, well, that was the only... Because we won, obviously we won all of our elimination games, but the other, the one in Dallas and the one in, in Boston, were, or the one against Dallas and the one in Boston were in game sevens. Uh, that, Dallas was the only team where we had to play the elimination game that wasn't a game seven. Yeah, yeah. good point. And that scared me. I remember thinking that. I remember thinking in game six, I was like, motherfucker, we're going to lose, aren't we? We're we going to lose We do Dallas. so badly game, in elimination game six, too. Um, yeah, exactly. So next one we have here is from Sydney Meyer, Sydney Meyer 08, Sydney with a Y, uh, on Twitter, and it has uh, cereal boxes, uh, Fruit Loops, Frosted Flakes, Cocoa Puffs, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Reese's Puffs, Lucky Charms, and then a weak ass final row. <laughs> Of plain Wheaties, plain Cheerios. You're not even going to give me Honey Nut Cheerios and Rice Krispies. So I can jettison the entire bottom row. 
I don't need. If you give me frosted Cheerios too, I'd be I'd be listening. Yeah. To oh, Honey Nut Cheerios, I will listen. I love yeah. Honey Nut Cheerios. They're basic, but they're fine. But just plain <laughs> Cheerios, get it, get that crap out of here. Uh, so really, I'm I'm looking at a list that is Fruit Loops, Frosted Flakes, Cocoa Puffs, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Reese's Puffs, and Lucky Charms. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Reese's Puffs non-negotiable for me. Uh, up there with um, Waffle Crisp as a one-two in the top of the top of the cereal world. Uh, and, I don't know why. Uh, I thought you were going to say up there with you know Mahatma Gandhi <laughs> of the world. Reese candy for breakfast, not candy. Reese's Puff cereal. Uh, Ian and I, of course, are coming at this from entirely different worldviews because he's a dry folk. So he may have very different oh. perspectives on these cereals because I, like all normal human beings and honestly non-racists out there, eat my cereal with milk. So, um, you know, Ian has some different perspectives on certain things, and, and that happens to be one of them. Uh, and so uh, from, a, from a milk point of view, Reese's is that's just unquestionable. I think Frosted Flakes are severely underrated. I just think they're just a solid go-to, you know? And so I'm going to put them on my list. Um, and then I think it's it's down to between Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Fruit Loops for me. And it could go either way given, on the, given the day, but I think I'm going to lean Fruit Loops here and say my final three is Fruit Loops, Frosted Flakes, and Reese's Puffs. Lots of Fs. Lots of Fs in my cereal choices. <laughs> lots of Fs in cereals in general, I guess. It's frosted and fruit and... And puff, puff are so common words. Uh, so yeah, that's that's where I think I come down. Ian, any thoughts uh, from your dry folk perspective? Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Because now, I mean, I think I think to be fair, thinking about how the cereal manipulates the milk is a little bit of a, it's a little bit cheating. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, but. I don't know. Maybe you feel differently because you are a dry folk. So I don't know that. No, I don't. I don't think that's cheating because you know that's that's just that's how people should be eating cereal. I shouldn't be eating it like I eat cereal, but my brain's all screwed up. So you know. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so what uh, are your thoughts on these? Reese's Puffs. I can tell you, wet. If I say it's dry, is the other version wet? <laughs> yeah. See, that's the whole problem. That's gross. Um, Dry or wet, Reese's Puffs are very good. I'm all about Reese's Puffs. I lived on Reese's so Puffs. So you have eaten cereal with milk. You just yeah. prefer not to. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. Hey, listen, it's fine, you know? I love well, a, I love broccoli, and some people probably think that's effed up. So. I love broccoli. Yeah. No, I, the thing with um, cereal, because people are like, you eat it dry. You know, you don't eat it with milk. That's disgusting. It's like, well, to be honest with you, I don't really eat a lot of cereal. Yeah, so well, that's true, too. Yeah. It's not like I'm just, like, pounding boxes of cereal. I need yeah. my fix. Um, Reese's Puffs are good. Fruit Loops are good. Um, those are two that I ate a lot as a kid. Cocoa Puffs we never really had, and I'm not, despite Reese's Puffs, obviously, part of them being chocolatey. Mm -hmm. I've never been a big, like, just straight chocolate cereal yeah, person. Too. I just think Cocoa Puffs to me would just be, I'd just be thinking, I wish I was eating Reese's Puffs. Yeah. <laughs> where's, the, where's the fucking, where's the fucking peanut butter puff? That's right. Um, Frosted Flakes I like, I do like, but I, I didn't eat them a lot as a kid. That's fine. And you know, there's like Lucky Charms is actually not that bad, even if you are eating the like cereal part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch I ate a lot more as a kid, but 
I've gone, I don't, I swear they increased the sugar content on Cinnamon Toast Crunch. They might not have, maybe they were always like that, but the last time I opened up a box, it was just like, there was sugar dust on everything. Like the whole thing was like half yeah, sugar. I think you're right. Like, oh. Too much, too far. Yeah, I was like, I don't need that. I don't need that much. So if it's if it's that, then I think I'd actually lean Fruit Loops, Reese's Puffs, Lucky Charms. That's fair. That's a good list. Uh, what one cereal do you think belongs on this list that isn't there? That's a good point because really uh, Reese's Puffs I ate a lot of, but the other two Lucky Charms, Fruit Loops, not not as much. Um, I always I want to like Cookie Crisp, but I don't. <laughs> That feels like it's a natural dry folk cereal because they're basically yeah. just cookies. Yeah, you're eating tiny little cookies. Yeah. Uh, but no. But I kind of, um, I kind of like, I do like it, but I also feel like it could be better and it's not. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, Golden Grams are pretty good. French Toast Crunch is good. Better than Apple, Apple Jacks are pretty good. Oh, that's a good one. And What'd you say yours was? You like honeycomb, whatever? Uh, waffle Crisp. Awful. Which I'm not even sure is produced anymore, but when it when it is produced, it's phenomenal. When it's produced, <laughs> there is a post. There's like a post version that's called like Ego cereal now. Yeah, which I'm sure is a similar concept, and maybe it's just the same, but you know, rebranded. But um, Waffle Crisp, a big one for me. I put I put Frosted Cheerios on here because I love Frosted Cheerios. Yeah, I mean that's fair. Your baby, yeah, yeah, yeah. your baby. Cheers. I mean, you know, they're eating finger food. It's yeah, good for everybody. That's absolutely um, right. And I, and you know, as as blah as it sounds, and I kind of soured on it later in life. Um, cinnamon, like, what is it? Not cinnamon toast crunch. Uh, cinnamon life. Mm-hmm. I always like cinnamon life cereal. I don't know who's eating regular life cereal, but wake the fuck up. <laughs> Honey nut checks are a game, by the Ooh. way, that I really like too. Um, I also like Raisin Bran sometimes, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's hit or miss. It's literally the cereal itself is hit or miss. <laughs> that's that's fair. Bunch of bran on it. It's like Cheez-Its. I feel like Cheez-Its are a thing to me that, like, if they're not, if they're cooked properly, they're, like, bomb and one of my absolute favorite snacks. And then if they're the burnt kind, I, like, can barely stand them. Um, so, yeah, I understand that. All right, you ready mm-hmm. to move on to this next discussion? Talking about GameCube games. I don't know why I have a severe deja vu right now, but maybe we've done almost a very similar segment before. Uh, But uh, we're looking at nine discs here. We've got Mario Kart Double Dash, Zelda Wind Waker. Those Zelda games are very hard to read. Uh, (laughs) Animal Crossing, GameCube, Kirby Air. uh, Kirby Air what? It's, Air it's like Air Ride or Air something. Ride, that's it. Okay. Super Smash Brothers Melee, Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door, Luigi's Mansion, uh, Super Mario Sunshine, and then Zelda. That's Twilight Princess, I assume. Oh, yeah. Um, which is kind of a, you know, GameCube Wii crossover. I think we're both going to say Melee, obviously. Oh, so good. Um, Got to I am going to say Double Dash is a non negotiable for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say I will be honest. None, neither of the Zelda games really grabbed me on GameCube, and I think it's because, and here's this is the reason I think is because I'm an idiot. Um, and Zelda, <laughs> oh, me too, me too. I like I loved Ocarina of Time as a kid when I just had hours to pour into it. But sometimes I feel like Zelda games are like 
too cerebral a little bit and i'm like oh no i just want to be dumb for an hour you know like, <laughs> give, me, give me a game where i can be dumb for an hour uh mm-hmm. so i'm gonna cross them off and um of what's left here man i don't i i i, I probably lean luigi's mansion because that is definitely one i had and played through entirely um I think as a kid, man, I just, I didn't go for the Nintendo classics as much and did more of the, you know, I mean, obviously Halo started to come out around that time that I was still mm-hmm. playing GameCube, but also like, you know, just some of the, you know, fighting games and, and sports games and other stuff that were on GameCube took a lot of my time. Uh, so I feel like now that I have a Switch, as they put, hopefully put more and more of that stuff on there, uh, I need to go back and, and get some of it and play it. But those are probably my three. I don't know. Where are you at? Yeah, like I owned, let's see, I own six of these. So I didn't have Kirby, Air Dash, or Twilight Princess, or the Paper Mario, but I've heard, I've heard they're all very good. Yeah, I had, I had Double Dash, I had uh, Melee. Wind Waker, Animal Crossing, we just mentioned, and Mario Sunshine. Mario Sunshine, to me, is... To me, Mario Sunshine is, to me, what Zelda is to you. Where I was like, man, I, I don't want to go in here and go like do a puzzle and find a star and yeah. spray water and shit. Like, it was cool. I liked it. I ran around a lot, but I didn't like play the game how it was meant to be yeah. played. Um, I think I'd appreciate it more now as I understand, like, oh, collect this, collect that, it's a puzzle. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, I was like, no, 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 no. No, 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 you can't give me that. Give me that crap. Um, which is interesting because Mario is very kid-centric, you know, or it's seen, you know, you look at it, bright colors, yada, yada, but I don't think it's made for children. Like, in Not the sense, really, like, no. how easy or hard it is, it's, it's very hard, yeah. or maybe I'm just stupid, but, you know. <laughs> I think it's both, uh, though, yeah. Well, I think it's both. I think you are stupid. <laughs> it can be both. It can be a little bit. A little bit. Uh, Smash Bros. Melee. Got to pick that one. Obviously, Mario Kart Double Dash. I played a lot of uh, with my sister. And it was that was a ton of fun. So it kind of goes down to Luigi's Mansion, Wind Waker, and Animal Crossing. And Luigi's Mansion was the first game I got for the GameCube. Right when I bought it. Right when I quote, right quote, quote, when I bought it. Yeah, when my dad bought it. Uh, the uh, Wind Waker, I have played like five times and I have never beaten it. And not because it's necessarily hard, but because by the time I get towards like the last 10% of it, I always put it down. And it's not because that part is boring specifically, but it's like I've run out of like push to play that game. I've run out of like, I'm just like, oh, I just got that last 10%. Like, okay, I will. And then I'll go do something else. And then I'll do that something else. Many other things for the next 11 months. And then I come back and I go, I forget where I was. I'm just going to start over playing it. <laughs> Which probably, again, I think this just leans to the dumb on my part thing. Where it's like, that's my fault. I could have just, you know, figured out where I was and beat the game already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have played it a lot, though. And I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. Animal Crossing, I haven't played it forever. I'm hoping to buy the new one pretty soon. But um, I did play a lot of it when I did play it. Like my town was huge. I had lots of little, lots of little animal friends. I bought all the fruit, all the fruit. Um, what's it? Furniture. Mm. Furnish my house with fruit furniture. There you go. <laughs> it was great. Um, but you know, I think I'm going to have to go Wind Waker since I played it so much. Yeah. But I love Luigi's Mansion again. Real stupid. Got all the way to the end. Didn't finish it. I don't know what it is with me and like adventure <laughs> platformer games and this just not finishing up, but. Uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna go melee Mario Kart and uh, 
Wind Waker, Zelda, yeah. I like it. And I feel like that's a really good list of GameCube games. Like there are I know, those are so good. But um, I think those are the nine you'd probably need to start with. Uh, we've got Candy Bars next. Um, Sour Patch Kids on here twice. Uh, I think the other ones are Watermelon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Watermelon and just regular. Uh, but you got Reese's, Skittles, Milky Way, uh, Gummy Bears, Haribo to be specific, Snickers, Twix, and Eminem. I'll say this was a real easy one for me. It's Reese's, Gummy Bears, and Twix. Uh, I like Snickers, Eminem's, and Skittles fine. Uh, and Sour doesn't do much for me, and Milky Way doesn't do much for me, but those three are three of my, probably my three favorite kinds of candies overall, so it's not hard for me. Uh, a wild card on this list, though, I do, I, I like Butterfingers, but I actually don't, because they taste good, but then you gotta get them out of your teeth. Um, mm. and, but the wild card is, uh, Cookies and Cream Hershey Bars. That have been on here, I probably would have taken it over... Gummy bears, because I prefer worms to bears, obviously. Just a more edible animal overall. <laughs> um, but um, I, with the with the nine that are here, it's pretty easy for me. Yeah, it's too bad it's just M&M's because it was like peanut M&M's. Then mm-hmm. you got a contender here. Or pretty much any other kind of M&M that's not just plain old M&M's. Yeah, it's like the plain Cheerios versus any other kind of Cheerio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Made a um, bad decision. I... I like like sour things, but sour patch and neither of those things are like stuff that I have to have. So those are both out. Um, I like Skittles. I like Skittles a lot, and I do like Twix a lot. So I need Skittles and Twix, and then if I'm tossing both the sour patches and the M and M's out, I'm left with Reese's, and Snickers, and Milky Way, and, and gummy bears. I'm probably gonna go. Yeah, probably no Milky Way. I like Reese's, but I prefer Reese's Pieces. That might just be me. That's fair. But, but I also do like Reese's Cups more than any other kind of Reese's aside from Reese's Pieces. Where like, here's an egg, here's whatever. Yeah, honestly, why are the eggs so friggin' different? Are they, it's because there's too much peanut butter, you think? I think that's what it is. That to me, be, I just feel yeah. like there's too much. Yeah. The density of it. Eggs and the Santas and whatever other form they put them in, they're just never nearly as good. I... I I think you might be on to it. I think just that density is, is the problem there. So what were your final three then? I think I'd go Twix, Skittles, and uh, Milky Way. Fair enough. Milky Way, not one that's ever gotten me. It's the nougat not a thing, not a texture I particularly care for. But... Do you like um, Three Musketeers? You don't like Three Musketeers no. at all? Then? No. I used to love Three Musketeers, and then one day I ate one and I said, this is trash. <laughs> <laughs> It is weird how your taste can just change. Uh, Star Wars characters next. Uh, this is, I guess, from a Battlefront account, so uh, they probably mean in-game, but we're going to discuss them out of game because I've only played a little bit of Battlefront. You've got good Anakin Skywalker and then bad Anakin Skywalker, who is better known as Hayden Christensen. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> as Darth Vader. Um You've got Luke Skywalker from the original trilogy is this rendering. Boba Fett, Yoda, uh, Darth Sidious, a.k.a. Emperor Palpatine, Obi-Wan Kenobi, General Grievous, GTFO, man, you don't belong here, and Darth <laughs> Maul. Uh, General Grievous is probably really cool to play in game, but like in terms of the Star Wars universe, get the F out of here. You don't... You don't. <laughs> What's too bad is like in the, in the movies, he's pretty poop. But in the like Star Wars like 
TV show or whatever that was. Oh, yeah, Clone Wars. Wars. He was super dope because he was like scary and like killed all these different Jedi yeah. and collected their lightsabers and like, oh, who's this? And like in terms of like originality and design and all that stuff, like a lot of potential and it's really cool. And then they just kind of the bed. Yeah, leave it to George Lucas to craft the bed with something that might have been cool. Leave it I was to like, you know, that's really kind of the to craft the bed with something that could have been kind of Star Wars thing. Yeah, that could have been Star Wars overall. Yeah. Yeah, I just feel like I don't know. It's uh, it's it's oh, uh, the franchise. We're not going to go into it here. It was poorly executed, a little overrated, but I like it overall. It's great. I just you know I have hmm. some thoughts, but we'll do that in another podcast because we've got years to get some out. notes. Uh, that's right. Um, I think Darth Vader is non no question for me. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Luke is kind of a whiny little bitch. Even <laughs> early on, much less in the new trilogy. Um, Yoda, to me, is a little dork, you know, not dorkies, that's not the right word, a little gimmicky, um, but I still probably choose him because he's Yoda. So then to me, I, I think the one character, and again, could have been better executed, but I think the one character from any of the newer trilogies that does kind of pull me is kylo ren so it's kind of like between luke and emperor and kylo ren and i guess i'll say kylo ren only because even though i don't like that trilogy it does feel more like our generation's trilogy you know Mm because like the middle trilogy which is the prequels you know we were pretty young when those were coming out um Mm -hmm. so you know we couldn't just pick up and go to the movie theater and go watch them so i think i go vader yoda and kylo and probably will get burned online by uh star wars fans and appropriately so where's ray on this list steven Mm -hmm. uh well you know i'm a chauvinist so she doesn't belong there (laughs) (laughs) it is kind of surprising they didn't include her though I would yeah. put her in over Grievous if we're just again going by the movie versions, but maybe she's crappy in Battlefield. Maybe or in, uh, in Battlefront. I don't know. Yeah, um, very possible. I, I think I was gonna go that and same it, way with you. And it driving, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just oh. lean into the sexism. <laughs> what are you? All, you're going to the same three. Um, probably. I was gonna say Vader, Yoda, and. And uh, Kylo Ren, but I think I might switch out Yoda for for that for Obi Wan Kenobi because I think, especially young Obi Wan, I think of if I'm picking my favorite person in like each trilogy, then it'd be like young Obi Wan in the prequels, Darth Vader in the originals, and then Kylo Ren in the new the new trilogy. Yeah, that seems fair to me. I don't hate that. Uh, you want to move on to fast food? Let's do it. Actually, let's do this chips one first. Okay, I only agree. because I feel like they chose weird chips. I feel like this is a Canadian's version of the 12 best chips. Probably. Um, because even the even the stuff we have is a Canadian bag that they're showing. Because our ruffles don't say nature, which I guess is the French word. Uh, but anyway, ru- regular ruffles, Cool Ranch, and this is a 12-er, so you got to keep up. But you still only get three. Cool Ranch Doritos, regular ruffles, dill pickle lays, ketchup lays, which is very Canada. Uh, regular Doritos, sour cream and onion ruffles, Doritos, what is that? Sweet chili, sweet chili heat. 
uh, salt and ground pepper kettle chips, salt and vinegar kettle chips, old Dutch barbecue, all dressed ruffles, also Canada, and hickory sticks. This is a weird assortment of chips. Yeah, it's just kind of a grab bag, if you will. I would say Doritos regular for me. And probably, I don't know what old Dutch barbecue is, but assuming it's just kind of your regular sort of standard barbecue chip, I would go with barbecue. And then probably just as boring as it is, regular ruffles, only because some of the other choices are so strange. That's yeah, it's like they are kind of a bunch of sour, random things. Cheddar and sour cream ruffles are number my ride or dive overall, but they aren't on the list, so... I can do sour cream and onion, but it's not one I necessarily seek out. So those are my three. Um, I do, man, I do like a good, like just vinegar mm-hmm. taste to my chip. And so I got to say, like, I personally pick like um, salt and vinegar and then I pick the all dressed ones and then I pick the pickles, but they're all kind of, you're getting kind of same seas. Yeah. So That's I true. think, I think I would keep the salt and vinegar and I'd keep the all dress chip, take out the pickle. And then I would put in the, the whole Dutch barbecue because I do like barbecue. There you go. That's a good list. It covers something. Old Dutch is a bomb. Uh, yeah. Their old Dutch is a bomb uh, brand. I don't think we have it here in St. Louis. Maybe. I feel like I don't see it if we do. Yeah. I think it's, I know it's up in Minnesota. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a Northern thing. Yeah, of course. Uh, let's close with three fast foods: uh, Taco Bell, Popeyes, Chick Fil A, with a bar stool logo for some reason. Uh, <laughs> Burger King, which seem like very opposite companies. Burger King, Subway, McDonald's, Arby's, Wendy's, and Panda Express. I know my three. Ian, do you know your three? Do I know my three? I think I think I do. I think I yeah I think I do. Uh, I will say Taco Bell is for sure for me. Chick-fil-A, I think, I know it's basic white bitch to go Chick-fil-A, but it's still good. And I'm still choosing it. And I think as boring as it is, I feel like McDonald's is still just kind of your go-to standard, especially for breakfast. If I'm throwing in breakfast in there, then it's McDonald's, no question. Mm -hmm. So those are probably my three, even though maybe they're the most boring on the list. And I'm just going to double down on boring because that was kind of what I was going to go with this time yeah. like McDonald's. But if I'm going to switch one, I was going to switch Taco Bell for Wendy's. But you know what? If I'm going to switch one, then I should switch McDonald's for Wendy's to, to cover all yeah. my bases. But I do like Wendy's. I think they still I think they have good fries too, and their burgers are pretty, pretty good. But um, yeah, Chick-fil-A, very, very good. Flip between them and them and Canes. Canes not on this list. There was another one I saw that was like Southern mm-hmm. um, fast food. T- you know, pick three out of nine, and Canes is on there. Um, Chick Fil A very good, despite the fact that you hear you, you got to hear this, folks. That forgot my forgot my sandwich the other day. Oh shit, that was a saga. You want to talk yeah. about that for a minute? I mean, you pretty well, much told the whole story. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it was like for ten seconds. So our Chick Fil A, we went, we went the last time we recorded. We went 
from here to just drive through Chick-fil-A. Just break all the quarantine rules in one day, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. And this Chick-fil-A, uh, from our non-disclosed location of our usual recording studios, is uh, probably 15 minutes away. To, you know, 12 to 15, I would say. Uh, and so it's a good distance, but it's the closest one you got. So we went there and we got everything and, you know, Chick-fil-A never screws anything up because they're ordained by Jesus himself. And so we drove all the way back home and then you found out you didn't have a sandwich. And mm -hmm. the, everything else was fine. And then we drove yeah. all the way back and uh, did they give you the sandwich you wanted originally or did they still screw that up? No, they gave me they gave me the right one, I okay. think. Okay. So, but it was just kind of like, oh my god, like Chick-fil-A ruined something that was wholly impure. They just I and you know what? It still didn't ruin it for me enough. I yeah. still picked them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think the other thing on this list is, like, Panda Express is fine, but I would never, like, that wouldn't be my go-to Chinese place. Arby's mm. is okay, but I would always go Lion's Choice over it. Subway, I would always choose Witch Witch or uh, Jimmy John, literally any other sandwich place. <laughs> um, Burger King, I wouldn't choose over McDonald's or Wendy's. And Popeye's... I probably wouldn't choose over like a Lee's or, you know, some of the other chicken places. So it's just mm -hmm. kind of like uh, of the nine that are there, there are some better options. But that's been our podcast for the day. Um, <laughs> we've ma manufactured almost two hours of talkie. So hopefully folks can enjoy that. Um, Ian, you're uh, you're in Southwest Gardens now. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you don't have to drive home. That's the nice thing. You can just go go about your business, uh, but do you have anything you'd like to say to the people before we get out of here? Um, thank, thank you for listening in these trying times. <laughs> yes. uh, two hours of content is hard to put together, but also not hard and somehow very easy. Yes. We, to, can, we can have a somber commercial over like generic piano music talking about particular circumstances, but never getting specific. Never, mm -hmm. ever getting specific. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, if, if folks out there have anything they want us to cover, we're just going to be kind of going off the cuff as long as there's not hockey. And maybe, I kind of forget sometimes this is a hockey podcast. Yeah. And maybe we'll do, uh, you know, some, maybe there'll be another viral Netflix show that we can dig into, or maybe there won't be, but, uh, we'll just kind of be going week by week. So if you like some of the stuff we did this week and want to give us more options for those kinds of players comparisons or pick three or just you know general topic debate discussions we're all for that if you hated it tell us and we'll try and pick a different direction next week but it's really just whatever comes into our minds so you can mm -hmm. steer the content as much or as little as you want uh but for the time being i think that's all we've got so unless you have anything else to say ian i'm so hungry Oh, baby, he's got to go eat. He's got to go get all the fast food available in Southwest Gardens, which is not a lot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll go. We'll go have dinner. You go eat whatever meal is appropriate for the time of day you're listening to this podcast, including second dinner if you're listening late at night. And we'll talk to you very soon. <laughs>